But last week we started a series called Strongholds. And uh, basically I'm going to explain to you shortly what a stronghold is. But last week we discovered some things that really when it comes down to a lot of it about when we uh, find ourselves bound up in stuff that we just don't seem to be able to break free from. You know those things that you don't like about your life that you've tried and tried and tried and tried again to try and remove them, but they just keep on coming back. Or, or maybe you go six months, 12 months, and then it comes back again. We discovered some things last week that in God's Word, it's really, really clear that it's what we think on gets us to where we end up. In fact, it says this in Romans. It says that those that think on the things of the Spirit will find the Spirit, as in those that think on the things of God find God, but those that think on evil things find evil things. And the Bible is really, really clear about what we think about is where we end up. And so a lot of our strongholds really don't come down to circumstances or situations or your upbringing. It comes down to the way that we think. It comes down to our perspective. It comes down to our understanding. Let me, let me help you understand that a little bit this morning by going to our first scripture, which is in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. And this is our key scripture that we're using all the way through the series. And I really encourage you to be here every week because I really believe that God wants to set people free. I, I don't believe that God wants you to live in what I would call tolerable recovery, where you, you live with the pain of a situation, but you just learn to tolerate it. You're never actually really free from it. You just learn to live with it. And I don't believe that's the way that God created us to be. In fact, the Bible says this, who the sun sets free is free indeed. It's, God didn't come so that you could learn to live with your problems. God came to set you free from your problems. And so I really believe that this morning. And so here we go. We go For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. In other words, we don't go up and punch people in the face. Although some people need to be. That was a joke. You can laugh. Whew, strong, tough crowd. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish what? Strongholds. Then listen to this. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that we're pretension means pretending anything that pretends that it's a truth when it's not a truth that sets itself against the knowledge of God not just the knowledge of God but the truth that God has spoken to you and the truth about who God is and we take captive we we not him we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ in other words he's saying here in Corinthians that it's our job we actually have the weapons to destroy the arguments that happen in our head. You know, those ones where you're not good enough, God could never do anything with you because you've done this in the past and you did that in the past. That's an argument. It's a pretension. It's a pretending. It's not true because our Bible says that God can do whatever he wants with anybody. Nothing is impossible for him, for those that believe. The Bible says this, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, but every, and every tongue that rises up against us in judgment he shall squash. The truth is, is that you have never been bad, so bad that God can't use you. And so that's just a lie. It's an argument. It's a pretension. And the Bible says that we demolish those. And how do we do that? By taking them captive. By us going, hold on a sec. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what God says about me. This is a lie. And so we identify the lie and then we replace it with a truth. Because the word stronghold literally means this. In Scripture, it means a prisoner locked by deception. Or in other words, a life lived by something that's not true. 
A stronghold is something that's not true that you've lived your life by. I mean, I, I remember having a, um, I, I did an internship, and, and, and you would think that during an internship, you would have pastors encouraging you, yes? But I decided halfway through my second year that I felt the internship wasn't really doing what they said it would do, and I really felt like my, my marriage was starting to suffer, and I felt like God said to me, you need to put a hold on your internship and put your family first for a while, otherwise you're going to end up in strife. And so I went to the pastor and said, look, I'm just going to pull out of the internship, and it's not because it's just I feel like God's saying that. And then they turned around and said, if you pull out of the internship, this is a pastor, you will never do anything for God. Now, how many people know that that's not true? But how many people know that that sat in my head for years and years and years? Some of you have had teachers say to you, you're so dumb, you'll never accomplish anything in life. And it's a lie. It's not true. It's an argument. It's a pretension that sat there. It's a deception. You're living by a non-truth that sat there for your whole entire life. It's a stronghold. It's a stronghold. And so to expose the stronghold means we have to expose the lie and then we have to replace it with a truth. And we understand that God's word is truth. And so when we replace a lie with a truth, the best way to destroy the liar is to expose the lie. And then the lie loses its power. And then we can replace it with truth. And so we kind of talked about that last week, but today we're going to deal with addictions. And when we come to start talking about addictions, most people go, I don't have one because I'm not an alcoholic and I'm not a drug addict and I don't look at porn. Addiction is not just drugs, alcohols, and pornography. Some of you are addicted to this. Yes? Yes? I saw a, a sign outside a cafe that says, we don't have free Wi-Fi here. Talk to people face-to-face like we did in 1995. Yeah. <laughs> you do. You go, yeah, have you ever gone out to dinner? And you look around the room, and there's families and boyfriend and girlfriends out on a date, and they're sitting there at the table doing this. It's so romantic. It's flipping insanity is what it is. And so we're going to deal with addictions because an addiction is this. This is what an addiction is. Anything that I do that I don't want to do, but I won't stop doing. An addiction is anything that you do that you don't want to do, but you won't stop doing. An addiction is anything you do that you don't want to do, but you won't stop doing. I have a slight addiction to food. We have addictions to all sorts of things. Some of us are addicted to TV. Some of us are addicted to ridiculous programs like Shortland Street. Some of us are addicted to all sorts of things. Some of us are addicted to our PlayStation. Some of us are addicted to anything that you do that you don't want to do that you can't stop doing is an addiction. And we get addicted to all sorts of things that we can't live without. Some people are addicted to their partners or their wives or their husband or their boyfriend or their girlfriends. They can't actually do anything in life without them. It, it, it's an addiction. It's, 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 out of, it's out of whack. It's, it's not right. It's, we're addicted to all sorts of things. And anything that begins to control our lives but doesn't make it better is an addiction. Anything that controls our lives but doesn't make it better is an addiction. If, it, if it's controlling you and you can't, it's like people say to me, oh, I'm not an alcoholic, I only have one glass of wine. If you can't get through a day without a glass of wine, you're addicted.
It's gone quiet. You're a, if you can't get through, if you're like, I cannot get through a day without one glass, you're addicted. I'm not saying you're getting drunk, but you're addicted. If you can't survive a day without something, you're addicted to that thing. It's controlling you. Yes? Some of you are like, I'm addicted to work. I need to break that addiction. <laughs> Some people are addicted to work. They put their careers way before their families, working ridiculously long hours when it's unnecessary. Addicted to work. We can get addicted to all sorts of things. Anything that controls our lives that doesn't make it better is an addiction. And anything I, weigh, I do way too much of but I can't stop myself doing is an addiction. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7. I love this. In verse 21, he goes, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. What is Paul basically saying here? Paul is saying, I don't want to do this and my life would be so much better without it, but I can't stop myself. I, I just don't know how to stop this. And, and so when it comes to an addiction, it's usually... And there'll be people here, I don't, have to, I don't have to get you to put up your hand, but I guarantee you can think of something that you would love to stop doing in your life, but you just don't seem to be able to stop doing it. And you know if you stop doing it, it'll be, your life would be better, but you, you, you're, just, you're just so frustrated because you've tried so many things and it just hasn't worked and, and you're just like, man, I just don't And it, you don't want to do it, but you keep doing it. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, I don't want to do this. But I find myself, I keep on doing it, and I know my life will be better without it, but I just don't know what to do. What about you? Do you have anything like that in your life where you know, I'd be better off without this, and I don't want to do it, but I just can't stop myself from doing it? What thing in your life are you struggling with that you know that your life would be better without? Because remember, to be free means I have to expose the lie first. So here's some lies that addiction tells us that will hopefully help you this morning. The first thing that an addiction lie tells you is this, it has become part of your identity. It's become part, it's, it's, it's who you are now. See, the lie is this, is that what you do is who you are. That's a lie. What you do is not who you are. What you do is what you do, but it's not who you are. It's not who you, this is one of the biggest lies out in the world today. And that's why people in the LBGTQSP community get so, get so wound up about because they believe what they do is who they are, but it's not who they are. What you do is not who you are. What you do for a living is you're a builder, but you're not a builder at home. You're a dad, you're a husband, you're a father, you're, a, you're somebody, you know, you know what I'm saying? What you do is not who you are. And, and, and you and I both know this because we sometimes do things and we just, we're so heartbroken that we've done it because that's not who, that's not who I want to be. That's not who I say, see myself being. And you know what? You know what's that voice is on the inside of you? That's God saying, that's not who you are. Who I see that you are is who you are. It's not what you do that makes you who you are. It's what Christ sees 
you as is what makes you who you are. That's what he sees you as. The second thing is this, is that when I try to quit but I fail, I just feel increasingly hopeless. This is just a hopeless situation. I've tried over and over again, Craig, and, and nothing has changed. It's just hopeless. Friend, that's a lie because our Bible says with Jesus there's always hope. He is the anchor of our soul. There's always hope with Jesus. You may have tried over and over again, and you may have tried for the last 30 years, but friend, if you still have Jesus, you still have hope. It is not hopeless. He can do all things that needs to happen. It's a lie that the enemy tells you. Don't bother trying anymore. Don't bother praying anymore. Don't bother fasting anymore. Don't bother reaching out to him anymore. Don't bother worshiping. Don't bother giving because it's not working. It's hopeless. It's a lie. It's a lie. There's always hope with Jesus. Here's a third lie that addictions will tell you is any threat to my addiction becomes a threat to me. This is why we get so defensive when somebody points something out, yes? I'm the only one here. I know that's like that. You're all really cool people. But when somebody points out a problem in my world, it becomes a threat to me, and so I want to react, yes? I'm, ha- I'm, I'm learn- learning a lot of not to because, you know what, it doesn't really matter how a person says something to you. The reality is is you need to go away and think, is there some truth to what they've said? And if there is, you've got a friend that loves you. I heard this the other day by Chris Volatin. He says, you actually need friends that you trust more than you trust yourself. Because huh. friends will see things in your life that you don't see. But you need to trust them. Because when they speak into your world, it becomes a threat to you, and so you instantly defend yourself. And he was hearing a story about how his good friend Danny Silk said to him one day, he says, look, mate, I've got to leave in 15 minutes, so I don't have a chance to go for all the nice way that I normally say this to somebody. <laughs> you know you're in trouble when somebody opens a line like that. But you're arrogant. This is what he said to him. You're arrogant. And the way you treated those people the other day was really arrogant. And, of course, instantly he was defensive. No, 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 you don't understand. I wasn't being arrogant. I was just doing this and this and this. And as he went home... And he's lying in bed awake at night, getting really angry because Danny, how did Danny say that to me? What did Danny know? God speaks to him and says, do you trust him more than you trust yourself? Because sometimes in our own worlds, we can't see the wood for the trees and we need somebody else. And so he turned around and he said, you know what, God, I will trust Danny that he's seen something that I haven't seen. And in that instant, instant as he said that, God showed him his true motive of his heart and it was arrogance. You see, we need people. We need friends, people that we trust more than we trust ourselves. Because otherwise, it just gets viewed as a threat. Our addiction, so we become defensive about what we're doing. The other next thing is, is that, is that I begin to lose my life. This lie of, it's all hopeless. It's, it's nothing, it's gone too far. It's just gone too far. There's no way back now. You know, it's, just, it's just gone too far. This can't recover. The, the, the marriage is so destroyed, it, it, it'll never recover. It's just, everything's just gone too far. It's, it's, just, it's just gone too far. There's no way back for me now. How many people know that's a lie? <laughs> when you know your scripture, there's no such thing as too far. 
Nothing separates us from the love of God. Nor life, nor death, nor sickness, nor health, nor sin. Nothing. It's, you're nev it's never over. There's always a chance when it comes to Jesus. The last thing that the lie will tell you is, I ease the pain by getting my next fix. The thing is, is this, is that your next fix doesn't ease the pain, it just masks the pain. It doesn't actually fix it, it just masks it. You know, I've known a few alcoholics over my lifetime and, and, and all it does is just mask the pain. The pain's still there in the morning. The pain is still there. It doesn't fix it, it just masks it. These are lies that addictions will tell us. We go on and Paul says this. We already read about how he's saying that, that he doesn't want to do what he's doing, but he, he's just not sure how to stop it. And then he comes to Romans 7 and verse 24 and 25, and it says this, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Have you ever felt like that in your life? You're at the end of the rope. I've tried everything. Nothing's working. And then he says, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in the life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. And then he goes on in chapter 8 because what we don't understand is when they wrote the Bible is they didn't have chapters. It was just one great big long letter. We put the chapters in later. And so we read this here where he says, I, I, nothing's helping, nothing's working I'm at the end of my rope, but I know that Jesus Christ can help and, 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 and you know that he sets things right and I keep on getting pulled by the influence of sin to do something different and then he says this therefore therefore because Christ can and does there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus this is a flow on from verse from chapter 7 it's not it's not the beginning of chapter 8 he's saying because of what is written beforehand therefore because of what i just explained to you that christ can and does and he acts to set things right there's now no condemnation for those that are in christ jesus because through christ jesus the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death what am I going to do? I can't beat this law of sin and death. I try and I try and I try again, but I just can't beat it. Oh, but praise God, there's Jesus who can and does. And because he does, there's no condemnation. There's no guilt feeling that I need to have about my life because he has set me free from the guilt feeling of sin and death. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that brilliant that Christ, no matter what your addiction tells you, no matter what your stronghold tells you, no matter what deception you've been living in, Jesus sets us free from it. Every time, without fail. He's such a good God. In 100% of stronghold situations, the problem is this, is that there's one word that we don't really like using in church, but there's always one word that really sums up your addiction problem, and it's called this, idolatry. Because idolatry is this, anything we allow to sit on a throne of our hearts other than God. Idolatry is anything that we put before God on the throne of our hearts. Anything that we make first before God is idolatry. That's what an addiction is. We put it first. We put it before God. 
It's idolatry. We put something else. Something else is now the God that's sitting on the throne of our hearts. What you're addicted to has the power to control you. It's the power to control you. I, I know I had a pornography addiction from the age of 18, uh, 16 through to 18 years of age. It controlled me. It controlled me because Jesus wasn't the king of my heart. Pornography was. It controlled me. It dictated my life. Are you with me this morning? It's not just a habit. It becomes a love. You can't live without it. It becomes a passion. And it gets a place in our hearts. And here's the thing. Whatever you fall in love with, we become obsessed with. Whatever you become obsessed with, you imitate. Whatever you imitate, we become. And what we become entraps us. The reason is that you still have this addiction in your world. And the reason why I have addictions in my life is because it's sitting on the throne of my heart and not him. It's really that simple. I'm loving something else more than I love God. We're always a slave to whatever is on the throne of our hearts. But here's the thing. The problem that my addiction is on the throne of my heart is also the solution in getting him to be the king of my heart. Even though we understand the problem is my addictions become the king of my heart, the solution is that Jesus becomes the king of my heart. That he replaces the addiction, that he becomes the king. He says, your, your addiction is not physical, your addiction is spiritual. Addictions are not physical, addictions are spiritual. Because it's about who's the king of your heart. So, how do I get Jesus back in place as a king of my heart? How do I get him back where he should be? Well, I'm going to give you three things, and hopefully that will really help you today. First thing is this, put God first in every area of your life. In every area of your life. That means you're going to have to reorder some of the gods of your life. You're going to have to rearrange the order. Because you've got to put him first. Until God gets his rightful place at the top of the heart, at the top of your heart, you're always going to struggle. Always. In Exodus 20, 1 to 3, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. We have to make sure that there's nothing more important than God. God's first. God has to be first in our lives. You've got to make sure that there's nothing in your life that you love more than you love him. It's okay to have things in your life that you love, just don't, just make sure you don't love them more than him. I love my wife, but I don't love her more than I love God. I love my kids, but I don't love them more than I love God. I'd love to have a pair of jet skis and my wife won't let me have, but I love God more than I love the idea of jet skis. Although I just 
feel the Spirit of God just saying, let's be a release there. How many people here would love jet ski? See, that's... How many people think I should have one? See those hands. They've just voted it in, Trinity. We'll minute that, put it in. (laughs) It's okay to have things in your life that you love. Just make sure they're not more than God. In the New Testament, they put it this way. 1 Peter 3.15 says... Put in your heart, but in your heart, sorry, set apart Christ as Lord. In other words, make him king. Make him king. Make him king. Give God the first of everything. The first of your morning. When you get up, good morning, God. So great to speak to you this morning. Give him the first of everything. The first of it, first of your finances, the first of your day. I'm, I've decided this year I'm going to do something that Jensen Franklin does, and I heard about it, and I thought it's a really cool idea. He fasts the first three days of every month as a tithe to God. It's his way of saying, this month is yours, God. I like that idea. I'm going to do that, because I think it's a cool thing to do. You see, fasting is a way of putting God first. It's putting God first. It's saying, you know what, I'd love to have steak with bacon wrapped around it in a really nice like blue cheese sauce, but I'm going to put that aside for 21 days because I love Jesus more than I love my food. How many people have I just caused to crumble right now in your fast? Which leads me to the second thing, and that is say no to your flesh. Say no to your flesh. You see, you're, you, there's three parts of you. Your spirit man, and your spirit man loves God a lot, like really loves God a lot. Then there's your soul, that's your mind, your will, and your emotions, right? And then there's your flesh, your body, and it has its own set of cravings, and they're all screaming at us at the same time, aren't they? Our body screams at us, our emotions scream at us, all three want to be in charge, yes? That's why Paul says, the things I don't want to do, I do do, and the things I don't want to do, I, I, I do. And, and he's, cause he's no, there's this three-way struggle. He knows his spirit should be in control, but there's a soul and there's this flesh and it just, and it just becomes overpowering and they're in charge when we feed them and let them have their way. This is why fasting is so important because fasting is learning the art of denying your flesh on a regular basis. It's just saying, you know what, flesh? I know you may want food, but no. No. Even if it's a good thing, no. Don't we, don't we do that with our kids sometimes? I used to make the mistake with my kids whenever they wanted to say, no, we can't afford that. Then I realized that my kids thought the only reason why they didn't get stuff that they wanted is, is was limited to dad's wallet. Now I just turn around and say, no, you can't have that. Why? Because it's not necessary. But, 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 no buts, you just don't need it. Why? Because it's good for them to say no to their cravings and their desires. You, you need to say no. Learn to say no. Just no. No. I have no problem saying to my flesh when it wants to go for a run, no. We've got to tell our appetites, even if they're okay, no every now and then. Just say no. Every now and then say no to them. Why? Because you want them to know 
You want your mind, your will, and your emotions to know. You want the cravings of your flesh to know that they're not your master. You're their master. You're in charge. And every now and then, you just got to say no. Just learn to say no. But, 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 no buts, just say no. Say no to chocolate fudge cake for now. Say yes in three weeks' time. But just say no. It's, it's actually not hard. It's just say no. Romans 6, 12 to 14 says this, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God. For sin shall no longer be your master. The key to getting control of your world is by saying no. Just say no every now and then. Like I know some people and I ask them, are you going to fast? Oh, no. I, 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 I. Now, if you have a medical condition, that's absolutely completely different. If you work in a high labor job where you're working really, really hard, that's completely different. But if you're sitting in an office and you can't skip breakfast or lunch, it's not because you can't, it's because you won't say no. Because scientifically proved that if you go without lunch, you will not die. Some of you need to say no to social media. Just go, no. I'm not posting. Some of you really need to say no. No to TV. Just for, just, just try it. Learn to master your cravings and your desires. Galatians puts it this way in 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Crucified their sinful nature with its passions and its desires. You see, the problem is this, is that when you say no to your flesh, when you say no to its cravings, you're crucifying it. The problem with most of us is we want to work on our problems, but the Bible teaches us to kill our problems. I don't think you got that. It doesn't say work on your problems. It says crucify them. Kill them. Well, how do you kill something? You starve it to death. Yes? You're looking at me this morning like I'm this mean, horrible person. I'm helping you. Just starve it. You know how I broke the pornography thing? I starved it. And put him as king. I put him as king, and then I just said no. No. And I put some programs on my computer and stuff like that, which used to send an email to my parents if I ever looked at it, something I shouldn't. Nobody wants that email going to mum and dad, yes. Now it goes to her. Nobody wants that going to their wives either. And so it's really easy. When the thought comes into my head, no. Why? Because I've starved it. Come on, are you hearing me this morning? You've got to starve, you've got to kill the problem, not work on it. That, that, that sinful addiction does not need you to, to, to 
put the nappy on it, chuck it over your shoulder, burp it. Are you all right? Let me put you down for a little. No, it needs to be, oh, that's a bad example, isn't it? That's a really bad example. Oh. I'm moving on. I went to church today and the pastor said we should kill babies. I believe the way to break the addictive habit is to have a habit of regularly saying no to your flesh. Just regularly, regularly saying no. Just getting into a lifestyle that just says no on a regular basis. On a regular, I used to when I was before pastoring, I know it's stupid, I should do it now that I am a pastor, but I used to fast one day a week, every single week, without fail. Why? Because I could just wanted a regular lifestyle saying no. No to my flesh, no to its cravings, no to its desires. No. I had Justin come to my house last night, dropping off three fresh snapper while I'm fasting. And I really wanted to say, Jesus, the Lord has provided. But unfortunately, Justin, I had to say no to my flesh. That's all right. I'll take them next time. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get into them later. But prayer and fasting, as you come into this last week of prayer and fasting, I don't know what you've done in the last two weeks, but how about this week? How about this week you say no? Say no to something. Say no to maybe the TV. Say no to your phone. Say no to food. Say no to something. We need to kill our problems not work on them. Whatever I starve dies. It's a biblical principle of crucifying the flesh. So how am I going to break the power of addiction over my life? Well, the first thing is I'm going to get Jesus back as king of my heart. I'm going to put God first. I'm going to put him first, and then I'm going to get in the habit of saying no to my soul and my flesh. And then the third thing is, and I know this is going to sound really cliche, but it's just true. Go all in for Jesus. Go all in with Jesus. You see, you'll never get the best of God halfway. I, I, don't, I don't mean this last part to be condemning to you. I hope this encourages you. But you're not going to get the best of God during a worship service like this. Oh God, I need you to meet me today when I go to church. Try that in marriage and see how far it gets you. Oh, I was really hoping that maybe tonight we could, you know, get romantic in that, but I'm going to sit on my lazy fat chuff while you do all the housework and don't help at all. See how far that gets you. I'm sorry, I'm just being honest with you this morning. The reason why, you know, because I hear people say this all the time, oh, this, this Christianity stuff, this stuff that you talk about didn't work for me. Yeah, of course it didn't because you didn't go all in. You went half in, quarter in, a little bit in. I, I really wanted God to break through my finances, but you don't give, you don't tithe. You tip God 20 bucks a week and hope that the principle applies. No, the principle applies when you bring the tithe into the house, then he opens the windows of heaven, not when you tip him. It's all in. It's all in. You want him to meet you in worship? It's all in. It's all in. 
It's not, it's not half in, it's all in. I know you, maybe you won't want to come back after this morning, but I'm just going to try and help you this morning because I guarantee you right now that if you would commit for one year to be all in, and when I say all in here every single Sunday on time, every single Sunday worshiping, every single Sunday giving, every single Sunday engaging, and getting in a connect group, I'm going to do the next steps course, I'm going to serve in a team, I guarantee you if you would give God all in for one year, your life will change, but it won't change halfway. It won't change. This stuff won't work for you if you go halfway. You have to make him all in, king of your heart, first and foremost, priority in everything you do, God first. Not God occasionally first, not God half first, not God a third first. It has to be all first or it's not going to work for you. It's just the reality. I don't mean to be mean and I'm, not trying, I'm just trying to help you. I'm where I am today because I went all in. Not because I went halfway. All the times I've gone halfway with God, nothing has ever happened. It's all in. You've got to go all in for him. If you give God a year where you go all in, I guarantee your life will completely turn around. Why? Because Romans 12, 2 says this, fix your attention on God. In other words, make him first. Go all in. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond. What would 2018 look like for you if you this year went all in? Just did everything. You turned up to the prayer meetings. You turned up to the prayer walk. You turned up on Sundays. You just went all in. What would happen? What would it look like for you at the end of the year? And let me ask you this. What's the harm it would do? What's the harm that it would do? You're not going to do anything halfway this year. I just feel like God's saying, are you going to be all in? Are you going to be all in? Because when you're all in, you'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognizing what he wants from you. Quickly respond to it. And then it goes on in the verse and it says this, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down till its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. If you go all in this year, you're going to have to say no to some things because what you starve dies. But let me say this, what you feed thrives. And if you would feed your spirit this year, every Sunday, if you would feed your spirit this year by getting into a connect group, if you would feed your spirit this year by doing the next steps course and discovering what it is that God designed you to do, if you would do that this year, if you would feed your spirit, your spirit would thrive. And your life would thrive. And your marriage would thrive. And your kids would thrive. And your finances will thrive. And your health would thrive. Because the Bible says this, May your soul, yeah, as your soul prospers, so does your body prosper. I'm telling you this morning, if you would just go all in, just give it a chance this year. All in. Put him the king of your heart. Say no to, say no regularly to your flesh, even good things. Just say no. Just say no. 
and then go, you know what, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to give it everything I've got. And at the end of 12 months, if God hasn't come through for me the way, if God doesn't come through for you, if your life doesn't change as I promised you, then fine, go halfway then. But I guarantee you, if you go all in, by the end of this year, life will be so changed. We're so changed that you'll never want to go back to halfway. You'll never want to go back to that. 